So we're currently on a series, Fear Not. Um, and Pastor Cameron asked if I would speak today on the fear of being alone. This is such an interesting subject, because obviously every one of us in here knows what it is to be alone. Um, whether it's you're physically alone, whether you're in a room like this with a hundred and some people feeling alone. Um, and just as I've, I've wrestled with this this week, um, I think I've come to the conclusion that to be alone is much more... Here's my definition that I'm going to build off today. We feel alone when we feel unseen or unheard. Whether we're in a group, whether we're sitting literally in an empty room. If we feel unseen or unheard, we feel alone. Um, so I want to, we're going to be opening up today, uh, this is the story uh, for anyone that's going to get there, Luke 1, starting in verse 5. Um, it's the story of, now here's the, here's the deal. I'm reading out of New King James Version. So many versions have it Zechariah, some have it Zacharias. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> do we throw the S on or not? Like we can take a poll and see who wants to run the S. My notes have Zechariah, but my Bible says Zacharias. So I don't know what I'm going to say. If I say Zechariah, Zacharias, it's the same dude. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to read it. If you have a Bible, you'll find it. On my Bible, it's page 1706. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while they were serving as priests before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Intermission. Um, so... Zechariah is a priest of the order of Abijah. There was 24 different families that, they would, uh, that made up the priestly order. Um, he was of the order of Abijah. So his lot fell to go in before the holy place and burn incense um, before the holy place of the Lord. And in, in the commentaries, I've read, so this would only happen, each, a priest could only do this one time. Um, it was, this is where we get the lottery system. It was a lot, and you, there was like a drawing. and um, So it, the lot fell on him, and it was his turn to go in. And this would have been the first time that he had ever done this, because if, if, your lot, if the lot fell to you, then you would never do it again. So he's an old man. It's the first time he's ever done this. And uh, so he's going into burn incense. That was just to give you a little context. The whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. 
we have it on? Yeah, that's great. Um, when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Um, And then he goes on and basically quotes from the prophet Micah um, about that this, this would be the Elijah that was to come before the Messiah. So let's look at this. Zechariah is going in. He's burning on incense. We got, this is going to be our altar. I always have to have some, something here. So this is our altar where he's burning incense. Conveniently, we have candles lit. <laughs> um, it actually, he would have like had it, and it's the smoke going up, and it represents the prayers and everything, because this is at the hour of prayer. Um, an angel shows up. Probably, like to quote Veggie Tales, real bright and shiny looking. One of them's real shiny. Zachariah is afraid. Naturally so. He says, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. Listen to what his good news is. Check this out. Do not be afraid. This is verse 13. Do not be afraid. Your prayer is heard. This is an old man that we can, I think it would be logical to assume that he quit praying for a son probably a long time before this. He probably wasn't in there at the time of burning incense and praying for a son. They had, they had prayers that they did when they went in and they did they went in and they burned the incense. Like He would have had written prayers that he would have been reading and doing. Probably a son or a child was not even on, a, on his radar. But it was in his heart because the angel says, your prayer is heard. What prayer? That answer is right here. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now we're going to jump over to verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. I read that, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the, only, the only thing I could think of, like, so I'm trying to think, like, just as an example, for the passion that I feel for this angel. This is an angel, real bright and shiny looking. He shows up in the holy place. No one else is allowed in there. He just shows up. Zechariah obviously knows that this is a little bit off. That's why he's afraid. The angel says, you're going to have a son. Zechariah says, how will I even know? 
<laughs> so here's the this is the best example I could think of. And uh, father of the bride of all movies. <laughs> Remember when he's um, what's his name? What's the what's the, the dad? Yeah, I can't think of his name in, in the movie though. So he, Steve Martin, he's in the grocery store, and he's mad because the, the number of hot dogs and the number of hot dog buns, we get like 10 hot dogs in a pack and eight hot dog buns, and he's done wasting money. So he's going through, and he's making it so that they're all the same. <laughs> and the, the clerk comes over, and he's like, what are you doing? And Steve Martin says, some big shot over at the bun factory got together with some big shot over at the hot dog factory. And George Banks, thank you, George Banks, is saying no. And the clerk's standing here. Who's George Banks? And you feel the frustration in precious George Banks. Me! <laughs> That's the closest thing I could get up to what I think the... Angel's reaction would be, he's standing there, he's like, these are my credentials. <laughs> so, that, so that's why I'm completely off topic from, we just have to get into the story sometimes. Verse 19, the angel answered and said to him, so this is the passion that I'm feeling when it's, this is the George Banks. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to you to bring these glad tidings. I came from the throne of God and I was sent to you to tell you something like, are you kidding me? You're questioning this. Look at what happens. Though. Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. This is amazing to me, too, because I'm, okay, shoot. <laughs> when Cameron initially asked me to do The Fear of Being Alone and then sent me to the story of Zechariah, at first I was kind of like, huh. But then once I got unpacking it, you can see... more context. When this took place, this was at the end of what they call the, the silent years. So basically between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was 400 years when Israel didn't have a prophet. They were back in their land, they were back in their temple, but they were still under Roman rule, which was not what they expected. That's why they're waiting for a Messiah that they thought was going to come overthrow the Romans and they were going to be back to basically living like they did under King David. Um, so there was 400 years. So this was like, what's 400 years? Where are we at? 20-something. So this is like 1600s. We're talking Middle Ages. If the last time that anyone that like on this planet had heard from God at all, there was no Holy Spirit poured out. This was... If the last time that anyone on the planet had heard, it would have been like 1600 in relation to our days. So he's basically here really 
trying to get, because he didn't have the Holy Spirit. This is before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He would have been here completely building on like a hope of the past. This would have been, I'm coming, and he would have had reverence for the holy place, but as far as like relational, any type of depth, he would have been coming in, no doubt, um, with a sense of like awe and respect for the holy place, but based off of the past. It would have been nothing experiential in his life. And with his question, it's, you have to watch the questions. And then the next story we're going to get to a question to, and I have to see where I'm doing for time. Horrible. How shall I know this? How will I know this is true? You can see the defeat in the man. You can see his hopelessness, his just broken. Um, He wasn't feeling connected to God, even though he was in the holy place. But this was a once, literally once in a lifetime opportunity for only the priests. This, there would not have been a lot of people that would have ever seen the things that he's seeing right now, even aside from the whole angels deal. But you can see in his heart, he's very far away from God. Doesn't feel heard. Doesn't even believe when a real shiny dude comes up and brings him a word from the throne room. And as a side, because I think that I've seen this in my life all too often, and I think we all do, look at what his doubt thrusts him into. The word of the Lord comes, speaks clearly to his heart. You know, we're held accountable for what we're taught. Teachers are held to a higher regard. If you sit under teachers and you listen, turns out you're held accountable for what your ears hear. Zechariah was being held accountable for what the angel just told him. He says, I'm going to choose to live in my experience above the word of God. And look at where it thrusts him into. You think he was alone in his heart and in his, in his brokenness that no one would have seen his pain? You think he was before? Try the next nine months. It's basically like, okay, you think that that's that's a better lot? And I feel like God is saying, try it on for size. Let's just turn the volume up a little bit. You will be mute until these days come to pass. And I think I can build an argument, and this is a little bit of speculative, but in verse 62, it says, this is after John the Baptist was born, and they were uh, debating on his name. It says, they made signs to his father what he would have them called. They're signing to him. You don't do that if they can hear. I think I could build an argument he was both mute and deaf. You want to talk about isolated? Like, there have been times where I feel like you had an ear infection, or one time I was standing beside my truck, I was shooting at a coyote, I shot like three times, and my truck's right here, and just the way it bounced off, it like really screwed up my eardrum. 
And for like a week, I couldn't hear out of this ear. It's, it's amazing how alone you feel when you can't hear, especially if you've been able to your whole life. If you can't speak, literally, you can't communicate, and you can't hear, again, this is a little bit speculative, but I think I can build a solid argument, he would have been completely alone. Completely alone. As far as feeling. But watch this. Did his doubt affect the promise of God? Turns out John the Baptist was still born nine months later. Um, we're going to move to Genesis 16. Genesis is somewhere in the beginning of your Bible. In mine, it's actually the first book. I can do this all day, folks. <laughs> this is the story of Hagar. And the reason I'm, I want to go here is uh, Zacharias represented the priesthood. His lot had been drawn to go in and burn incense in the holy place. Couldn't get closer to God physically. But in his heart, it was, it was nothing more than ritual. Um, for anyone that's not familiar with the story of Hagar, um, this is going back to Abram before he was Abraham and Sarai before she was Sarah. And God had come to Abraham, said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to multiply your descendants. And Abram and Sarai were getting a little bit impatient. Sarai has an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar. Um, more than likely came from when they had their time in Egypt and then they got cast out from the Pharaoh and he it probably came from that ordeal, but it doesn't matter. We have an Egyptian slave girl that now they're living up by the land of Canaan. She's completely away from home. And Sarai says, God's taking too long. Let's try this with my servant. Um, Hagar gets pregnant. Hagar actually ends up seeming to have a little bit of an attitude with Sarai now. Sarai says, I'm not having any of that, treats her harshly. Hagar says, I'm out of here. Hagar would have been, I mean, obviously, she's a slave. She's a slave girl. Came from, she couldn't get lower, like a dog might be higher on the totem pole than her. Just a nothing literally treated as property, treated poorly as property, she ends up running away. You'll notice who comes looking for her, nobody. Couldn't get lower socially. Um, she runs away. We're going to pick it up, verse 7 of chapter 16. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, 
where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And then he, the angel goes on to tell her basically about the son that she's going to have. And after that, this is her response in verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahairoi. I hope. Observe it. It is between Kadesh and Bered. Let's look at the question that the angel asks. Actually, interestingly, this is, again, no, no side note. I might even ask Luke, Luke's opinion on this. Would you say that this is possibly a pre-New Testament sighting of Jesus? Thank you. I just want to make sure we don't know. Um, it says, the angel of the Lord. Traditionally in the Old Testament, that's a manifestation of Jesus. It also says in verse 10, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. Also interestingly, you notice what the first thing he doesn't say is? Fear not. He shows up and she's not even afraid. Now that could be because he, maybe he wasn't all shiny looking. It could also be a picture of when someone is so broken, you've stripped everything from them, what are they going to be afraid of? If this dude's going to show up and kill me, like I've already lost everything, I've got nothing to lose. He doesn't come over and say, don't be afraid. She's not afraid. We have absolutely no reason to think that she's afraid in this situation. Again, possibly because he came looking a little bit more like Jesus, Possibly because it's a picture of her mental state and just her brokenness. But let's look at the question because I think that this is absolutely crucial. In verse 8, he said, Hagar, he calls her by name, Sarai's maid. So he knows who she is. But then he asks a question. And let's suppose that this, either way, whether it's an angel that came from the throne of God or whether it's Jesus, doesn't really completely matter. Where have you come from and where are you going? Obviously, he knows these answers. But he wants her to consider this. Where have you come from? How did you get here? Where are you going? Let's look at her reply. I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The only thing we see there is loneliness and defeat. We see no hope. He asked where she was going. He, she doesn't even respond to that. She has no idea where she's going. The only thing she knows is 
Being alone in the wilderness is better than being over here with check this out, the people of God. That part, actually, I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Abram was met over in the land of Ur by God. And God said, I will multiply you and make you into a great nation. And all those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. He, Abram, at this point, there's two people that represent the people of God. It's Abram and Sarai. And Hagar is fleeing them. This was like a little bit of an indictment on me because I was like, holy smokes. She would rather be alone in the wilderness than be back there. But you'll notice this is also where Jesus meets her. I thought, there's hope. There's hope for the people. Like, I have people in my life that are fleeing the people of God because they've been hurt. And even if I go and I can try to love them and I can try to encourage them, they are very, they're they're just skeptical. They think, what's the angle? You're, You're just trying to get me to believe the way that you believe. They... They choose, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, um, but what, what we can actually see is, and I've seen this in my own life, every one of us hates feeling alone. We hate being alone. We hate living in a place of being unseen or unheard. But the problem is we get comfortable in that place, and it's more comfortable than to be in a place of risk. It's like, and, and so I've got, I, I literally, I have people in my own life that have completely rejected the church, completely re- rejected everything that resembles the people of God. I would rather be in my wilderness, thank you. I can pray for them with confidence, though. Because do you know who else was at this well? Nobody but Jesus. Especially coming in, like, we're coming into a holiday season where my heart literally breaks for people that I know have rejected the church and rejected anything that has to do with true, true Christmas. but I can still pray in faith that Jesus will meet them. Um, now I've lost my phone. Last time I complained about those analog clocks. I'm not going to do it this time, but I still can't read an analog clock. <laughs> Only because of you, that's why I'm not complaining. Um, so I feel like in a lot of ways I can actually relate to both of these stories I think most of us in some way can Um, when I was 18 I decided I'm not going to go to college I graduated high school somehow and it was like do I go to college or what do I do with my life 
I decided I was going to go save the planet through, through YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And uh, I signed up. I was leaving January 1st, 2006 is when this all happened. I was 18 years old, six months out of high school. And thought, this is super easy. I'm going to go. I'm going to do the discipleship training school, and then I'm going to save the planet. And I was there for exactly 30 days. And they said, you know what, Eric, I like you a lot, but get the heck out of our school. <laughs> Turns out I was an idiot. And, but while I was there, like, I had legitimate, legitimate encounters and experiences in the presence of God. Um, it, was, uh, it was YWAM Arvada out in Colorado, and uh, had good experiences in the presence of God with the people of God and what I would call somewhat of a mountaintop experience. Just, you have worship every day, you've got solid teaching every day, like designated one hour a day quiet time, and I was actually like studying my Bible and taking notes, but I was also full of pride and an arrogant idiot. Um, one of the things, ironically, my uh, small group leader out there, he said, um, you know, what's one thing that you want God to change in you? And I said, uh, I, I still have it in a journal written down, um, God, teach me humility. It was like a couple days later, they kicked me out. <laughs> didn't mean like that, Lord. I really didn't mean it like that. But here's the problem. I was supposed to be, everyone, everyone here in Warren County, sorry, we're not in we're Chautauqua County, so everyone back over across the line in Warren County knew I was supposed to be gone for six months. Six-month training school. After 30 days, what am I going to do? I can't just go home because then it's like, yep, I suck. I'm a failure. So like any good, arrogant, refusing to bend his knee and humble himself, 18-year-old would do, I says, I'll just move down to Colorado and get myself a job. That's exactly what I did. Um, moved down to Colorado Springs and got a job doing construction, running a skid steer, and I was working on uh, government jobs, Peterson Air Force Base, doing like prevailing wage, making good money, good enough for an 18-year-old, um, because I was operating equipment on government jobs, and uh, decided to buy myself a motorcycle. Had that for like a week, driving too fast on the road, had a patch of gravel, went through the guardrails, broke this wrist. And now I'm 1,500 miles away from home and working construction. And the doctor said, you can't go back to work until you get out of the cast. And so I had like, literally, it was a 680 square foot apartment, which probably is a heck of a lot bigger than this stage. Um, and I sat in that apartment for two weeks. And I was at a place where, and this is where I can, for me, I can completely relate to Zachariah's story. Because I had just come from a mountaintop experience, and within, like, probably six, seven weeks, maybe eight, um, really in a complete place of brokenness and being alone, um, where I, I 
sat in my little apartment for two weeks with my cast on, and I didn't have this Bible. I had a different one. And that's what I... And so that really is actually the first time when Jesus, I would say, showed his faithfulness to me. Um, because I was, I was just being dumb. I was just dumb. And he showed up and was so faithful to meet an 18-year-old kid that was running away and trying to hide. Literally, my parents didn't even know, and that's my sister's unfortunately sitting here. <laughs> my parents didn't even know that I had wrecked my own motorcycle and broken my wrist until like 10 days after it happened. I was that afraid, uh, just that embarrassed and that afraid of be, like, people rejecting me. And so I took the Hagar route here and said, I would rather be alone than be honest. <clears throat> Jesus still met me. That, that is my story. Like, Jesus met me in a little 680-square-foot apartment because I couldn't do anything. Finally, I did actually get honest. Um, the last example I want to cover quickly is Jesus is here in the flesh picking disciples. We're going to John 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Chapter 1. Jesus is going through picking disciples. He comes to a guy named Philip, says, follow me. Philip says, I certainly will. Well, let me go get my friend Nathaniel. This is three verses, and to me, it's one of the most interesting dialogues in the entire big book. Yeah, we're actually going to start at verse 45. So Philip goes, finds Nathaniel. Can we get to 45? Just for fun. Yes. Yes. It's coming up. It's like two verses before that. <laughs> Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Yeah, we're going to keep reading a couple verses. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. This is ridiculous. 
Literally, Jesus says one thing. He says, before Philip called you, you were sitting under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathaniel's response is, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, I'm going to have to assume a couple of things here to make this make sense. But I think we can build an argument. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. He announces, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets, basically the Messiah, the Christ. We found him, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's kind of like if someone said Jesus of Cleveland. <laughs> I'm sorry, Luke. <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Can anything good come out of Cleveland? <laughs> no. <laughs> come and see. He walks over to Jesus, and Jesus looks across the room and says, Behold, an, in an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Some versions will say, in whom there is nothing false. Nathaniel was honest. He's just honest. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? This is, this is not like, how do you know my name? This is like, how do you know me? Like, who I am? How do you see who I am? Because he just walked up to him. Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I, I think we're just going to have to assume here that there was something going on under the fig tree. Based on the context, the fact that Philip goes over, he says, there's one person in the city I've got to go find. It's Nathaniel. I don't think it would be a huge stretch to assume that when Nathaniel went under said fig tree, he went there to be alone. He's seeking to be alone. And I'm going to assume he's crying out, where is the promised one? Because Philip makes a point to go and find him and say, we found him. Uh, we found him. Jesus, who speaks the truth, and he knows what's in man. He knows Nathaniel intimately. Turns out he actually formed him. He calls him an Israelite in whom is no deceit. If this is our little fig tree, Nathaniel comes over and he doesn't want to be seen by any, anyone. He's not doing this for a show. He comes over, he's hiding, and it's really, I think, I think he's having just a time of wrestling a little bit, being honest with God. Saying, I'm, I'm, he's probably frustrated that they're still under Roman rule. Maybe he loved his country, maybe he loved his God, maybe he just says, where are the promises that I, we read about? Where are they? 
I think he was brutally honest. I think he was honest with himself and where he was. I think he was honest with God. And I think he must have been a little bit honest with others around him because Philip says, this dude right here, he's got to meet you. Because he's looking. But look at the result, especially in contrast to Zechariah the priest. Zechariah hears the word of God, and he says, my experience tells otherwise, and that trumps your, your word. Nathaniel hears the word of God, which is a pretty simple one. Simply, I saw you. I see you. I know you. I hear you. And Nathaniel now suddenly has relationship with the king. Like, relationship. Because he received that. He says, before, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Most assuredly, these are letters in red. Most assuredly, I say to you, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending upon the Son of Man. Isn't that different from Zacharias' experience? Simply because of what he did with the Word of God. One received it. One doubted it. The promise stayed the same, but their experience was completely different. One goes into isolation, one goes into relationship. I don't have a big antidote because I think, I mean, all of us, all of us, I'm convinced, are alone in one way or another. Um, just most of us, honestly, I'd say, I think, I've, I think I've been at least felt alone most of my life just because I hedge myself. Um, if my wife was in here, she would tell you, like uh, my mother would tell you. Anyone that's close to me would tell you, eh, they, they're not totally sure how much they actually know Eric because I do hedge myself. Um, and I know enough about myself to know that I, it's easier to walk alone that is to walk in the fear of being rejected. Cameron's talking about the fear of rejection next week, so I can't go into that. <laughs> Other than to say that it's, we get comfortable here. And I don't have a huge antidote for it other than to say, honesty can get us out of that rut. If I can be honest with myself, which is hugely uncomfortable. But that's what we see um, the Lord saying to Hagar. Where have you come from? Where are you going? He's asking her to be honest, really, with herself about her condition, about where she's at. Also be honest with him. And I think what we see with Nathaniel is he was even honest with community. And we don't see him alone. Um, but what we ultimately see, and this is what separates Christianity from any other religion on the planet, 
we, we don't serve a God who simply sees us in our aloneness, who simply hears us, although he does. He hears us when we pray alone. That's why we had a time of prayer like, he hears us. We can pray and we can be heard. We can be alone and we can be seen and we can be known by a God who loves us. But I, I, just saying that is kind of like saying, don't be afraid, afraid or don't be depressed. Okay, so what? Like, okay, God hears me. God sees me. Like, that doesn't help me feel any better. But you know what the gospel is? He didn't leave us like that. He didn't just say, yeah, I see you. Yes, I hear you. He actually became what we are so that he actually knows that. That is the point of why we celebrate Christmas because it's not he's not just an outside god that like looking over at the table here just yes i see the table but what he actually did is he came over and he became it's a poor illustration i just came up with it <laughs> let's pretend that he became another table and took the load off <laughs> but he came into he's, he came into our brokenness um, that's I think I'm out of time um, yeah as, as the praise team comes up if they're still in the room if they haven't left me yet at least have one um that's what I want us to, to see, though. Jesus sees. We have a, a Father who sees. We have a Savior who sees us. He hears us. But he also came, and Isaiah 53 would call him the suffering servant. He's not simply outside of suffering. It's not just that he sees it, it's that he understands it. He understands, he doesn't just see where you are, he understands where you are. He'll even meet you where you are. I do think that he asks us to be honest with him. Um, and one last thought, I think that if, if we want to look like the hands and feet of Jesus, we need to see people for where they're at. Turns out that's what Jesus did. He looked and he saw where they were at. He didn't judge them there. He saw them there. He heard them there. And that's where they experienced love. And I think as the church, especially um, going back to Abram and Sarai, holy smokes, we have to see people when they're broken for where they're at. We can't just judge them where they're at. Um, okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> Thank you. Alan, take us away.